I majored in, at Furman in psychology, and the way people's minds work continues to fascinate me. So occasionally, I browse the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. I know, pretty deep research. But I figure that's what's, that what's popular there can at least provide some indication of what people perceive to be their greatest weaknesses or needs. My quick perusal of the shelves revealed a few trending themes. There were plenty of books on self-love, on dealing with anxiety, on repairing or moving on from bad relationships, and of course, on how to be a financial success. It seems that overthinking things is a current concern among many people, as reflected in the title, Overthinking in Your Underwear. I was a little bit surprised at the extent to which animals play a role in today's self-help books. Sloth's Guide to Mindfulness, and important stuff my cat has taught me, being just two examples. As I was surveying the books and with today's preaching assignment in mind, it occurred to me that the disciples could have benefited in their day by reading some of these books, had this genre of literature been available to them. They continuously misinterpreted and misunderstood Jesus' teachings. And so the art of clear thinking or the modern guide for the perplexed might have been of some help to them. Our scripture passage today is from John's Gospel, and we've already mentioned that John was the last Gospel to be written, and the most theological of the four. In John's account, it is usually the Jewish leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees who don't understand Jesus' teaching although the disciples have their usual difficulties as well. One of the features in this gospel is the I am statements of Jesus, which reflect God's own self-identification to the people of Israel. I am who I am. Jesus says to his followers, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door or gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. In a few cases, a miracle or sign accompanies these statements such as feeding the multitude to demonstrate that he is the bread of life, healing the man born blind to show that he is the light of the world, and raising Lazarus from the dead to demonstrate that he is the resurrection 
and the life. Even given a miracle or a sign to demonstrate his words, Jesus' followers were still often confused and befuddled by his teaching. Our passage for today is no exception. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, he cried out, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You have heard the ancient story. I should note that in this passage, more accurate translations say the spirit was not yet given, rather than there was no spirit, because obviously the spirit was active at creation and even appeared at Jesus' baptism. So there was indeed a spirit, but the spirit had not yet been given to the believers at Pentecost. At any rate, we are told that these words, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, and let everyone who believes in me drink. Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. These words, we are told, provoked division among the multitude, and some among them even wanted to seize Jesus. The festival referred to in this passage is the Jewish Feast of Tabernacles. It's one of Israel's three great feasts, the one celebrating the autumnal harvest. The other two feasts were the Feast of First Fruits, and 50 days later, the Feast of Weeks, which is when the Spirit came in power. This feast occurred in late spring and is what we celebrate today as Pentecost in the Christian calendar. Our passage in John takes place during the Feast of Tabernacles, when families built booths or tabernacles where they slept and ate meals for seven days. Every day, water was brought in a golden pitcher from the pool of Siloam and poured upon the altar. The pitchers of water symbolized God's gift of rain for their crops and commemorated God's gift of water which poured from the rock struck by Moses during the Exodus pilgrimage from Egypt. Thus, for the Jewish people, the festival was a remembrance of God's deliverance, a celebration of God's provision, and a recognition of God's continued presence in their lives. Jesus could not have chosen a more appropriate occasion to invite believers to come to him 
and drink. In John, thirst has the double meaning of literal thirst for real water that enables physical life and spiritual thirst for a real relationship with God, which results in eternal life. All week long during the festival, worshipers worked every morning carrying water to their booths. Now, they are freely offered water that comes from Jesus, water which will forever satisfy their spiritual thirst. The water that Jesus offers comes with the promise that out of their hearts or out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. It may be difficult, if not impossible, for us to grasp the significance of flowing or running water for a people who live in an arid desert land. For us, running water comes at the turn of a faucet. We can get a cool glass of water just about whenever we want one. And if you're like me, you can even fill your glass with ice. The people in Jesus' day didn't have that luxury. Finding fresh water was a matter of life and death in the desert, not only for people, but for any living thing. For those who have known what it is like to be truly thirsty, the promise of having their spiritual thirst satisfied, of never having to thirst again, was a powerful image. When you drink from the water that Jesus gives, you have everything that you need. And not only that, but he promised his followers that when the Spirit came, out of them would flow rivers of living water. The festival thus found new significance in God sending the Son to tabernacle among us and sending the Spirit to abide with us forever so that rivers of living water may flow from within us to a thirsty world. Given their track record, do you imagine that the disciples had any clue what Jesus was talking about? Out of you will flow rivers of living water? I highly doubt it. It occurred to me that maybe the disciples finally grasped everything when he was with them. But surely, surely after the resurrection appearances. Yet I recalled that at the very end of Matthew's gospel, we are told that the 11 disciples went to Galilee to a place Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. Some of the original 11 disciples were still doubtful. Even then, the last time they were with Jesus, after 40 days of resurrection appearances, still they doubted.
Still, they hesitated. So what eventually changed? What finally enabled these hesitant disciples to be the force behind the establishment and spread of the gospel? Pentecost. Pentecost happened. The Spirit coming in power. The streams of water that flowed from their innermost being. And that same Spirit that empowered his original followers empowers us, you and me, to carry on Jesus' witness and ministry to the world. So as it turns out, what the disciples needed was not a self-help book. What they needed to share the good news of the gospel in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth was the power of God's Spirit. God's Spirit transformed the disciples from a group of well-intentioned but ineffective followers to the dynamic and faithful leaders of the early church. The Spirit changed them and enabled them to become what Jesus had seen in them from the very beginning. That same power is available to us as Jesus' followers today. The power to become less divisive, less hateful, less judgmental, and instead to be more generous, more loving, more forgiving, more accepting. It's the power to transform yourself and eventually the world. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. May it be so. I think that by now most everybody knows that over the last couple of months, as part of the Eastertide series called The Stories We Tell, Amy's been doing a little piece of creative writing every week, imagining herself as Martha and what Martha might have added to the stories we tell had she had a voice. But since Amy, and therefore Martha, isn't here today, you're going to hear from Mary instead. I can't believe it's only been seven weeks since my whole world got turned upside down and inside out. But oh, I'm sorry. You were probably expecting Martha. Unfortunately, she's not here today, so you're stuck with me. I'm Mary. No, not Mary Magdalene. Everybody knows Mags. I'm the other Mary, Martha's sister. She got so mad one time when she heard somebody refer to me as the other Mary, like somehow I wasn't as important or something. But she's always been a little biased where I'm concerned. I guess that's just part of being sisters. I'm the same about her. It's curious, though, how two people can go through the same experience, same events, and yet have such a different experience of it. That's how it was for me and Martha. But then, I guess it kind of makes sense. We couldn't be more different. She is the ultimate multitasker, 
never sitting down and being still, making sure things are taken care of. Me, on the other hand, I can't do two things at the same time without getting lost in one of them. And I would always get lost in what Jesus was saying. People often tell me I have my head in the clouds, and I guess in some ways that's true. And if Jesus was in the house, well, forget it. You can be sure I couldn't be bothered with anything but listening to what he was saying. I'll never forget this one time, and I doubt Mary will forget it either, when she complained to Jesus because I wasn't helping out. And Jesus told her to leave me alone, that what I was doing was just as important. I don't think she liked that very much, but she didn't get mad at me. She just went on about her business of taking care of people. I really admire that about her. I've always been more introspective than my sister. She thinks that makes me the smart one. She's always telling people how brave and how smart I am, especially since that day at the tomb where I didn't run away. But I'm not so sure that was out of bravery or that it was even all that smart. We could have gotten ourselves in a lot of trouble with the authorities. When she says I'm the smart one, I think it's just because I don't immediately say what comes to my mind. I'm the more quiet of the two of us. Well, three of us, because there's Lazarus. But I was also always a little bit afraid that if I drew too much attention to myself, I might be asked to help with some mundane chore like preparing the meal, and I didn't want to be pulled away from Jesus' side. That man was amazing. The things he spoke about were not always easy to understand, but he spoke with such conviction and authority that everybody had to stop and listen. It may have looked like I wasn't doing anything much, but I can promise you my mind was just as busy listening and trying to understand as Martha's hands were busy preparing food. There was nothing I loved more than to simply sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words. In those moments of stillness, it felt like I could truly hear the voice of God. I think that's what some people mean when they say my head is in the clouds. Believe me, I had a lot of thoughts swirling around in there. But I digress. See what I mean about my head in the clouds? Now, where was I? Oh yeah, seven weeks. So hard to believe. Seven long, hard, confusing weeks. And they've been especially hard on Martha. What am I saying? They've been really hard on everyone. And did I say confusing? Really confusing. But I just handle things different than she does. I always have. I think I'm a little more open to the mysterious and don't need concrete answers to everything. Martha's way is to stay busy, to take care of everybody, make sure they're fed, have a comfortable bed and clean clothes to wear. But me, I like to be off by myself. I like the quiet, to contemplate and think about things. That's my way. And boy, oh boy, have I had a lot of things to think about. It's been crazy, crazy stuff happened around here these last couple of months. You know, you've heard about it, at least some of it, I'm sure. The tomb being empty, Jesus showing up lots of different places, and this was after he was already dead. Maybe we were starting to get a little used to some of that crazy stuff. I mean, Martha and I were there when he raised our brother, but still, 
the stuff that happened on that day during the Feast of Weeks, it was like something from out of this world. If ever there was a power present, there was a power present that day. There were a whole bunch of us gathered together because, like I said, it was a festival day, and something just came over the crowd. Everybody started talking at the same time in languages that we didn't even know, but we could understand. And the people that were there that weren't even from here, they understood. The wind, it was blowing really hard, and it was almost like there was a voice you could hear in the wind. I really needed some time just to myself to digest the whole thing, to try to make some kind of sense out of it all. You know, none of us saw this coming, although I guess we probably should have. Jesus tried to tell us enough times, but we just never understood. He talked about this power that he was going to give to us. You might imagine what we thought. We all expected something really different. But I've come to a conclusion, at least for myself, that the power he was talking about is something internal the power that we need to make changes in ourselves, sufficient enough changes that we can actually do as he instructed us, which is basically just to love everybody. Doesn't come easy. It's hard to love everybody, not just the people that we know and like, but our enemies too. That's what he was asking us to do. And loving your enemies that takes some doing. This power that he said he was going to give to us, he said it would be our comforter and our counselor. And let me tell you, those are both things we could use right now. These are scary times. And Jesus has put a lot on us. And none of it comes natural. Loving other people is not what we do when we're afraid. We defend ourselves instead of reaching out. We group together in cliques with people that are most like us. But we can't do what Jesus asked if we're afraid. That's what I mean by internal changes. We need a power inside us that's big enough to overcome our fears and to bring about the changes in us that are necessary to be like Jesus. One of the things I've realized is that in order to do that, we have to learn to think about other people in a different way. They can't remain our enemies. And here's another thing I've come to understand. For these kinds of changes to take place, we really have to open our hearts. Not just to other people, but to God. We have to really let God into our hearts. And we also need to have an open heart towards ourselves because we're going to fail. I think it's all about learning how to love ourselves enough so that we can love other people. And that that's what's going to bring the changes that Jesus was talking about. And that we can't do by ourselves, but need help from that power that's greater than we are. Those days in Jesus' company changed my life. I don't know what I'll do without him. I guess I better get busy trying to make some of those changes within myself that are needed. But the good news, he promised he would always be with us, that he will never abandon us, that if we allow it, he will forever live in our hearts, and through us, 
he will live in the world. And I believe him. I have always believed him. I saw it happening that day. In all that craziness, we were coming together. People were seeing each other as kin instead of enemies. That's what I think Jesus meant when he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come on earth, right here, right now, as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God, here and now. It's possible, and I want to be a part of it. With all my heart, I want to be a part of it. So bring it on, God. Change me. Open my heart and let your love flow out like living waters.